the local traditions just to steal money off. Like it's nothing. It's a nothing empire. So I In don't even sense. necessarily. Yeah. Well, I don't think they have. Will they will have much of a culture like China? In fact, I think will have more. Yeah, but spreading its culture. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but you know, just the Americans seem to have had more connections with other parts of the world that facilitated maybe them spreading their. Sweet you know, Europe. Yeah, Europe. Yeah. Where what more connections have that they had? With yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. No, that is, yeah, I just don't, it just seems like such an uphill battle right now, but I guess they could reach it. Because right now, China can only influence, like any influence it has is because like people, I it's economic say- or people look through it through like a reasonable way. You know, like I've never consumed one minute of Chinese entertainment, you know? I have, it's okay. <laughs> I, I watched Chinese TV shows when I was a kid as well, uh, the Iranian television. Some of them really good. Uh, <laughs> Uh, really seriously but chinese uh, and hong kong cinema is fantastic obviously oh bruce, Chi- lee. Uh, bruce lee's hong kong yeah. right he's fine. but uh, i jet lee jet lee is mm. definitely you know but i would say that even already man with netflix there is so many tv shows from all over spain to uh, turkey to mexico to uh, what's his name south korea and japan uh, you know so I don't know. I think it's already the um, like the American cultural hegemony has already. I think is just on the downfall, and I'm glad for that's one of the things I'm happy about. I like it. I I don't think Russian, sorry, Chinese cultural. We're gonna see a Chinese cultural global ascendancy anytime soon. But at least for a while, we're gonna see a kind of a diverse field, mm-hmm. nobody dominating. I, I hope, see. I think. Yeah. No, not that it matters as we discussed, not that it matters anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, to what extent, yeah. How how much it matters, but yeah. But okay, anything else from Vijay Prashad interview that you would like to highlight or Oh, I, I also wanted to say Vijay Prashad uh, said that he just read the uh, Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth and he was very surprised at the fact that they had elected monarchies and stuff. And I just because I am somewhat pro-monarchy. Like, what do people think monarchies were like? Like, somebody was just, like, behead his dad and become a king? Like, monarchy, where they were based, they, you always had sort of a senate or a council or something. Like, it wasn't just, especially in the East, especially in the East, where there was no, what's that rule called? The rule that your firstborn son, primo, I forget the name. It's got la- good Latin name. But there was no, like, that wasn't the case, like in the Ottomans or in Safavids or in pre-Islamic dynasties or uh, Safavid post-Islamic dynasties. The, it was always decided by a fucking council and they voted on it. Like, you would have, even pre, like, Islamic pre-Sasanian era in Iran, you had a council that would elect the uh, king of kings or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, you know, it's always, like, what did People, what do people think monarchy is like? I generally, like there's this one guy running around the country deciding everything. Like, it's so ridiculous. And I mean, it's, it's always, and that's why I hate the, the idea of oh, democracy. And it's always been a mixture. It's always been a fucking mixture. It's the whole question is about how far you want to extend mm-hmm. that. So we should talk about like the specifics of how we want to, operate uh, our society like to what extent do we want to have democracy and enfranchisement to what extent do we want to have institutions so i find it very surprising that it's just people seem to think like 
I don't know. I yeah. I'm I'm just just sorry. I just want to put my power monarchy. <laughs> no, I mean this, this is not your main I just point. Read but... up about monarchies, really. Just it's it wasn't just some guy like ordering people around. Yeah, but I mean, of course, just using this random blanket term of democracy is completely meaningless because all countries around the world right now are democratic one way democracy. or another, but they all vary in the different ways and yeah but i mean and what was his point in general with bringing up um that was just like his story he's a historian so yeah he was trying to just update it it was fun it was yeah, really, no, it was, i enjoyed it it was yeah. the type of shit i enjoyed but yeah he was talking about the fact that moscow uh the duchy of moscow or moscovite i think as they were called at the time they were fighting with the polish lithuanian Commonwealth for the control of the Kiev. But yeah, it was fun seeing Vijay Prashad. Like I told you back in the day, I used to really, really like him, and he would He's come really on cool. the real news network a lot. But yeah. Oh, you you didn't much. watch the full uh, live thing as well. He's also said he's writing a book with Noam Chomsky. I don't know oh yeah, no, I heard that. that. Yeah. yeah, coming That's out fun. later this year. All right, Sam. So let's talk a little bit about the fallout of the Russia-Ukraine war in the sense that you know its impact in other countries around the globe. Yeah, and I issues. saw. Sorry. Oh yeah, sure, sure, yeah, and peoples <laughs> and genders and fixes. <laughs> no, uh, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a very. I've been dumbfounded by the events as, uh, for like on twenty third of March, uh, Russia announced. Of course, this is uh, Al Monitor. Russia is demanding uh, rubles instead of euros or dollars from unfriendly countries as soon as possible this is not uh, you know not clear when it's going to come into effect so russia is demanding that at the same time you have arab countries uh, uh, clearly uh, signaling that they want to cooperate further with russia this is from 17 of march reuters the united arab arab emirates is keen to cooperate with russia on improving global energy security you also had, uh, you know, Americans, look, because of the, partially because of the Russian war, although I would say uh, in America, there are other reasons, especially, but globally, the price of gas and oil has gone up. America has sort of been trying, or at least that's been what's reported, that America has been trying to get Saudis and UAE and others to push up production to sort of somewhat, you know, offset the increased rising petrol prices and all that. But uh, it seems that UAE and Saudi Arabia are not doing that. In fact, there were reports they were not taking the calls. Then there was the announcement that there will be Patriot, further Patriot missiles moved to Saudi Arabia after Houthis made another attack on Saudi Arabia. But then Saudi Arabia came out and said they can't uh, guarantee increased production or anything because of Houthi attacks, even after the Patriot missiles were moved in. That prompted, uh, I think maybe this is a good place to talk about the Sagar mm-hmm. segment. Do you want to give a maybe a brief overview of that before I just... Yeah, I mean, uh, and we should maybe play that little clip also. Some of you might think this is a hypocritical monologue. Yesterday, I discussed India, why sanctions or public pressure against them would backfire and would hurt the U.S. strategically. Here's the difference between those two countries. India is a great nation. So is China, for that matter. They are civilizations that built themselves up, that have an intellectual and economic base. 
Saudi Arabia is a desert backwater with a leadership that would literally not exist without the United States. They have no domestic capacity except for pumping oil. And then they tried to purchase their way out of it from our U.S. political system. The time is to come that we recognize them for what they are and to bring them to heel with the immense pressure that we have over them. They have been free riding, free riding off the United States for a long time. And if Biden had any backbone whatsoever, we would never let Riyadh ever get away with this. Where he, he's, yes. I mean, I'll play the clip as well. We're like, you know, it's quite harsh the way he's talking about uh, Saudi Arabia. I mean, I found, I mean, you know. And he's, he's not alone. Yeah. He yeah. was right on the limit. And I mean, you know, I have, believe me, I have no <laughs> sympathy for Saudi government or anything, but it felt a bit too much. But in any case, his point was that, you know, we should, this country is nothing. We shouldn't, we should tell them that or listen to us or, you know, or get the hell out of the way. And, you know, but we, they don't, they don't do what we want, but we still gave them weapons and they still don't do what we want. Which, you know, that one is also to the benefit of the U.S. I don't even get it. Like, they want to sell. It's not like those weapons were given for free. And he, then he I also doesn't... think, and then I think he just made, you know, he made Saudi Arabia seem too much of a simplistic puppet at this point. I think they're a bit more influential, you know, given all this support that they've, that they've had, you know. And so, yeah, I think he just simplified it a bit too much and, you know, discredited their abilities a bit too much on top of it being a bit interesting the language that he used to say the least i i, I think the language he used and i'm not a, i think saudi arabia is a relatively new state it was set up by relatively reactionary people and all that and it was you know i'm not a big fan of their policies but his language and his tone was in my view was offensive it, especially coming from somebody from America, a country founded 200 years ago by yeah. gen committing genocide against American Indian. Whatever Saudi Arabia's historical roots may be, it is far deeper than America. All right. And uh, like what? And not even put aside America, Iran or like how did Iran came about? What? They just murdered a bunch of people a thousand years earlier. And what? Like that should be. We are so proud. Like I don't get this sort yeah. of like oh they are not a real civilization that they haven't built themselves up or something yeah i didn't exactly that whole yeah I mean, fuck you was so, the point yeah. Of that. yeah yeah like as opposed to india and china like do you want to go through india china mm -hmm. or iranian or roman history or whatever do you want to see some of the great things their civilizations mm -hmm. did i mean jesus christ like get over yourselves people like uh, really like there is nothing special any of us or anything yeah. or any time or any place. Just uh, we are all doing. But he's not alone. Like, look at this article from Khalid Al-Jabri, a health tech. I mean, that's what I love. That, like, if you agree with the establishment, you get, this is from in foreignpolicy.com. Like, mm -hmm. this is pro, like one of the more prestigious outlets. It's not yeah. like a, you know, your newspaper. Biden should punish Saudi Arabia for backing Russia. Riyadh could make a difference in oil markets, but has chosen to side with fellow authoritarians. Oh, suddenly, suddenly Saudi Arabia is very authoritarian. <laughs> suddenly, because they don't agree with us. Oh my God, MBS is so bad. Rather than United States. By Khalid Al-Jabri, a health tech entrepreneur and cardiologist. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad to know a cardiologist's point of view on uh, Russian-Saudi evolving relations. And Anilil 
Shalene, a research fellow at Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft, another basically outlet for the neocons. And uh, the article is basically about the fact that, uh, I mean, it's just the, the tone, uh, sorry, it's just the paywall just came up. <laughs> <laughs> As the United States and its allies stand against, united against the Russian invasion of Ukraine, Saudi Arabia is siding with Russia by failing to publicly condemn the invasion and reiterating its commitment to the OPEC plus agreement. The Saudi government exposed cracks in its long-standing relationship, uh, partnership with the United States. Despite entreaties to raise oil production, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman allegedly declined to speak with US President Joe Biden a week after speaking with Russian President Vladimir Putin. By refusing to compensate for Russian oil, the Crown Prince is facilitating Putin's Russian aggression by allowing to weaponize energy in the face of sanctions imposed by the international community and hold energy dependent European countries hostage to Russian oil and gas. So it's the Saudi's the, fault. <laughs> yeah, no, no. The main theme of this article is basically, unless you are a good little boy like yeah, the yeah. nations and you listen to us, you're an authoritarian asshole and a rogue nation. Yeah. Even if like until yesterday, we agreed with everything you did and still to this day support your uh, uh, almost genocidal war campaign in Yemen. Like... I mean, it's no. He was very clear in what he was saying. He wasn't. He was literally no. saying that exactly. Why he was literally saying, "Why aren't you listening to our interests and why aren't you following the interests of the U.S.?" And this is also one thing that I told you. And I think Sagar maybe mi- missed this. You know, Biden. One of his last cards that you hear right now about the price of oil being so high and also contributing to inflation is that the Saudis are not listening. Right? Biden is just saying, you know or the administration, like if only Saudis and OPEC plus and UAE would listen and increase the oil production, we wouldn't have this issue. But it could, A, if they did that, then you would completely lose that excuse. So you lost that excuse. And you know, the price could go down a little bit, not too much. And then you already played your, your best card. Yeah. And then you already played your, your best card, which was that, you know, it's the Saudis and the UAE's fault kind of right now. And no, I, plus. I, I, so I'm not even too sold with, you know, how much the Biden administration, how much pressure they're really putting on the Saudis or if the Saudis kind of also read this, you know, they they're not, you know, the analysts and stuff, I'm sure are not that dumb. So I think that's just something that shouldn't be forgotten and that, you know, for Biden, it's a good excuse right now in his pocket for him and his administration. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. I think you're they're right there. And the idea that, by the way, like this idea that or Saudi Arabia was agreeing with US before, like, yes, your relationship with Saudi Arabia is changing. Your power, economic power, military power is declining or refocusing to East Asia. Mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia is becoming more independent. They're flexing their muscles. They're not going to just uh, be your whip, whipping boy as soon as you say jump and they jump. Yeah, you know, get over yourself. And uh, this, again, again, the, you know, the, this sort of expectation that everybody should serve us. And know? this oh guy really God. had it. I mean, he didn't hide it in that, in the, no. the headline or the first paragraph that you just read. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, he do, does go on to give a sort of a, you know, a historical background to why the relationship between Saudi Arabia. And America has deteriorated, talks about Bahrain and all that. But I mean, again, I just 
like I feel I mean it's good at least they're now everybody knows now it's everybody's playing you know open-handed poker at least yeah so. things can be forgotten quickly but yeah very very uh, so uh, Sager is not alone in a lot of people are very much upset about the fact that um, you know yeah that, that America is, is well from their point of view and by also, the way like, like there's also the weapons thing yeah Sorry, just was saying from the their their point of view, they view America as a unitary state, as an indivisible state, state unit. Mm-hmm. It's indivisible. They can't really. I mean, sometimes they can, but in this case, it seems they can't to differentiate between different forces within U.S. or within mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia. Yeah, and you're referring to the fact that you know, like if if Biden or whatever didn't allow for these guns to be sold then he would have problems with a whole other fragment within his own country who doesn't care about the oil prices necessarily that much but they want to sell guns and everything to to the saudis that's kind of what you're what you're referring to right there's not the only interest of the us right now is not to bring prices down they have there are different stakeholders with different in fact you could interests argue among the elites and one big interest is selling selling weapons so you know them withholding biden withholding weapons or whatnot would also piss off a lot of his own donors or major industries or whatnot yeah yeah and uh, uh, uh petrol corporation do you think they're upset about yeah. gas prices going up american yeah. like no they're very happy and also just one thing like it is part of i mean i don't know how much power saudi arabia has to behave by itself but, you know, they're part of OPEC plus and OPEC plus includes Russia. So, I mean, yeah, yeah but I, OPEC I guess is the, pretty yeah. shit. OPEC is, uh, OPEC is like we talk about EU being like shitty and incapable. OPEC is used. I mean, as a, I always wanted Iran to pull out of OPEC. It's the stupidest organization. They never like, especially countries like Iran have only, especially after the uh, Arab-Israeli war. OPEC is a joke. It's controlled by America, really. OPEC plus a bit less so because of Russia. But yeah. It's fucked up. Or it's, a f- like, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of everything. Okay, what else? What else is there to talk about about the, the fallout globally? So, yeah, let's talk about... Um, we talked about the UAE also getting closer ties. Yeah, uh, Russia uh, and South. Wait, sorry, I'm just, I'm just checking if I'm not missing any. Oh, Germany uh, seals a gas deal with Qatar to reduce dependence on mm-hmm. Russia. Qatar and Kuwait so far have been the two nations that have taken the harshest stance against Russia within the Middle East. So uh, they like, I mean, by the harshest stance, they like very timid, like support for Ukrainian independence. Dependence. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. So let's not get over our head. But yeah, Germany is, you know, trying to get, although the German minister said that this is a, you know, medium to long-term solution. It's not going to help very short term. Then, uh, uh, by the way, another reason, you know, UAE is very close to uh, Russians is that, you know, uh, UAE is like many other tiny uh, a state sort of nation it's a tax haven and a lot of russians have money there and stuff so these nations also have that sort of interest that sort of relation with russia 
definitely. Yeah. And sorry, I'm just looking for a race there. I wanted to talk about there was also this report which I can't find right now. Thank you. Sorry. Germany, Russian. Uh, the, oh, this is from Guardian. So war in Ukraine could lead to food riots in poor countries, warn, warns WTO boss. So uh, Negozi Okonjo Ivela Iveala says impact of conflict on food and price on hunger could be substantial. So I, you know, we yesterday we did that tweet that you showed that, for example, in countries like Rwanda, up to like 70% of the wheat and all that. Yeah, it comes from Ukraine. So I think this is going to be crazy. Listen to this. Rocketing global food prices as a result of the war in Ukraine could trigger riots from those going hungry in poor countries. The head of the World Trade Organization has said. Uh, she warned food producing countries against hoarding supplies and said it was vital to avoid repeat of COVID pandemic when rich countries were able to secure for themselves the bulk of vaccine. So my guess is that what we're going to see is that all the nations are going to start hoarding the food ASAP. And, uh, you know, because usually whenever WTO or UN or whoever says maybe people shouldn't, countries shouldn't do that, yeah. everybody does that because it's the rational thing yeah. to do as an individual agent but the uh, expectation i guess is also that you know because there are no sanctions on ukraine like ukraine can keep on selling its wheat to anyone no, but because, because of war they actually have i think they banned exports of oh really because yeah, yeah. i mean you heard that you know the agriculture places and areas have not been too damaged yet so i mean technically perhaps production could continue and it won't yeah. be as bad as expected but yeah no, that's true. Uh, so, yeah, it seems like we're going to have a big effect on the food prices and all that. So, yeah, that's not good. Yeah, that would probably be felt, I'm guessing, from the summer on and all this, because I'm guessing all the wheat for this year has been stored. I saw that you also um, sent me this this video about, like, this this UK politician getting getting grilled because his wife has, like, is associated oh, uh, with yes. some, <laughs> with no, some Russian not, companies. That's not just some UK politician. It's been reported uh, that, that you've got family links to, to Russia, that your wife apparently has a stake in the Indian IT consultancy firm Infosys. Um, they operate in Moscow. They have an office there. They have a delivery office there. They've got a connection to the Alpha Bank in Moscow. Are, are you giving advice to others that you're, you're not following in your own home? That's not as a, I, I'm an elected politician and I'm here to talk to you about what I'm responsible for. Uh, my wife is not. She is not, but, but equally, if you, if you, you know, as, as a country, we are asking taxpayers to fund the UK's support for Ukraine. We're asking people in the UK to give their homes up to Ukrainian refugees, where it, whereas it appears your family potentially could be benefiting from Putin's regime. No, I, I really I don't think that's the case. And as I said, uh, the, the operations of all companies are up to them. Uh, we've, we've put in place significant sanctions and all the companies that we are responsible for are following those, as they rightly should, sending a very strong message uh, to Putin's aggression. Do you know if Infosys is? I, I, have, I have absolutely no idea because I have nothing to do with that company. 
captain. Yeah. So UK is also, by the way, playing active role. Boris Johnson went to Very lick, the, lick the boots of the Saudi Arabian and UAE and all that to get them to do some more oil production. But what you also had was, I don't know if you know Rishi Sunak. He's the <laughs> treasurer. He's the chancellor of the uh, UK. And he's the most is the nerdiest dude out there and he's married to a super super rich um, um indian uh, billionaire t- uh, lady whose father is super rich and you know just like soup like the type of people who own like you know yeah countries or something <laughs> and infosys i think is the name of the girl and it's really funny because like half of London used to be owned by Russians and all that, half of the football teams, all that. So the Russians are being cleaned and it's uh, becoming a very painful process in the UK. And so Rishi Sunak, now his wife's company, Infosync or whatever, they seem to have some, in, I don't know, I don't care, some investments in like Russian industries. So he's become basically a target because, you know, the government is right now cracking down and, you know, the hypocrisy is obvious there. I mean, I'm not surprised by it, but it's funny. And they keep, yeah, I mean, I love that interview. I hope you played it with the ladies asking her about asking him about him. And he's like, so yeah, it's it's like, I'm not involved in that. So (laughs) I don't work for that company. And therefore I cannot answer for that's my wife's company and she's not a public servant and he's and i love she had her a follow-up question she was good she said like well i mean you know these uh these sanctions everything you're saying it affects all citizens so is it affecting your wife and her company or no i don't know i'm not saying <laughs> but yeah it's so funny because i love that because she's kind of like okay all right she's she's like i'm not angry i'm just disappointed i'm very disappointed at you and your behavior so you know i mean it's quite funny i i'm not surprised by it but it's just it's fun to see politicians getting into these like uh, you know corners speaking of russia i think i saw this on instagram so there was like this ukrainian uh instagrammer he lives in i guess he lives in london and he was going around in london and showing like the big mansions of the of like people of like you know russian oligarchs or whatever who live in london and he would be like and i love any russian oligarch is always the closest friend to putin so they're like this guy who's best friends with putin he lives Probably here true. and then yeah and then he would put like some kind of paper thing on it talking about the the ukraine thing yeah. no no by the way i wouldn't like it's that's the thing these idiots like best friends like they think abramovich is a friend of putin or is that the thing? like is bezos friend of trump is mark zuckerberg friend they met they met yeah. a couple of times like these people what do you expect like when you're at that level of business who do you think you meet <laughs> like do you think you meet your workers yeah. so where do you think your bezos lives in london do you think he lives in a like a flat like in uh, East yeah. Shoreditch, he has a fucking mansion and like what are you oh, sorry yeah. anyway no it's just it comes back to the same thing it's just very interesting the processing when like and it seems to be normalized by so many people that whenever it's like towards russia there's like this complete way of seeing the conflict and how it affects this person and that person and this oligarch and have to go about after them whereas when we talk about the the same things being done by the americans you would just never think and go that way and nor should you so but this this part is interesting where like you know whether it's like with athletes or you know the oligarchs or rich people and this kind of 
approach. Yeah, I, I, okay, or maybe you should think about it everywhere, like mm. Russia. That would be a good idea too. Like be yeah. as a skeptical as you're. Suddenly, when it comes to Russia, everybody's a conspiracy theorist. That yeah. you know that's fine. But <laughs> as soon as you say the same thing about France, then you're weirdo. All right, Sam. Let's move on. Let's. We have quite a few more stories here. So let's start off with Madeline Albright. I heard she passed away. <laughs> If I'm not mis- mistaken. Yes, she died at the age of 84. Oh, okay. Well, can still be young these days, but... Relatively, I would yeah. say. Uh, I mean, what's his... Oh, well, no, she's older than Biden. Biden is 29. <laughs> yeah, Biden no, Biden we established. Looks I, I like thought he had... was 90-something, but no, he's like in his early 60s. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> 42. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually younger than Obama. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, Madeleine Albright, the Secretary of State during Clinton years, um, yeah, passed away, died. And yeah, it was, there was a, you know, it, we discussed it in the tweets. I didn't manage to find anything yet that is super, really, you know, kind to her stuff but yeah i i've okay this is from npr for example the gift madeline albright leaves uh, is showing us what is possible by kevin drew <laughs> oh. uh, some sometimes the impact of a person's death can ripple across time zones and continents triggering memories that can inspire today yeah i'm sure a lot of children who suffered malnutrition during her sanctions in iraq are Right now, they're remembering her gifts to humanity. I was reminded of that this week when Madeleine Albright's family announced that she had passed away. Albright died at the age of 84, her family attributing death to cancer. Her family attributing death to cancer? (laughs) Like He's writing it as if, you know, it could be something else. We don't know. (laughs) Okay. All right. Albright represented different things, different people. As a refugee who was, who as a child fled with her family from post-World War II Europe to the United States, she represented the so-called American dream of raising oneself up through education and hard work. Uh, to others, Albright decades of public service proved a model for a person choosing to serve their country. I mean, Jesus Christ. Oh but like I, I do think like i kind of glad for these type of things happening like giving so much credit to people like her because i i am somebody who thinks representation means very little to nothing and i think people like madeline arbright richard nixon who came back who came from working class background anybody who any politician who tells you pick me because of my mm-hmm. like i've i'm working class i'm from you i'm one of you or I'm like, I'm a woman, I can feel your pain. I'm a man, I can feel your pain. Right thing, a version of identity politics. All of them are, don't, I mean, yeah, don't, I don't know. So, uh, as, and to so many, Albright was a feminist icon. Really. The yeah, first, where are they getting? <laughs> I guess Kevin and maybe please classmates i know <laughs> the first woman to become u.s secretary to these people to these people 
in fact, they're not feminists because they, I think they, these idiots, they don't see women and men equal mm-hmm. unless women can actually do a job that in their head <laughs> only men, like, yeah. oh, I saw a woman, like, uh, cut down a tree. That must mean that women are equal to men because <laughs> men cut down it, like, they, in their idiot head. Yeah, like yeah, they I know. I becoming a secretary of a state as a woman. Like, you do know we had women emperors, like women queens before that. Like, there have been women in much more pop powerful position even if that's your criteria if you think being powerful is somehow gives credit to like equality between men and women officer uh, albright literally changed the face of american diplomacy again i mean i, I wasn't like, alive back then but and no, I mean, i'd like to see some references yeah. for that. no I'd like to yeah. hear somebody else uh, mention like, this I'll, I'll take that i don't even need reference because <laughs> <If> somebody else <laughs> says those words that is, that's a good story i mean point. that is a reference isn't it like you know it's basically mentioning somebody else said that too. yeah <laughs> true yeah. so uh, sh- sh- uh where is it throughout her life she spoke at frequently on what it meant to be the only woman in a room of men and the responsibility women take on when they push open the doorways to power with their own voice which by okay by the way i don't think i don't want to undermine the reality of of course a male dominated workplace is not a good idea but i don't think putting margaret thatcher hillary clinton or madeline arbright in there is gonna like i don't categorize like i'm sure and they don't also lead they don't also lead i feel like it's not also like okay let's put hillary clinton and even if she's not better she's gonna like change so much the future that you know later on there's just gonna be more naturally uh, you know woman rising to like these kind of positions they, they don't so they don't even no, like and, have and that kind of positive impact um really like, by breaking the glass ceiling and all that and it's like becoming happy with like there is these organ like these gentlemen's club that didn't allow women in for many years and then becoming suddenly happy because they allowed also a racist woman in <laughs> like <laughs> she's yeah. a still a racist yeah. like she's a still neocon yeah. she's a still a warmonger it's what's I mean, anyway it's like uh, at any rate uh, if, uh to push open the diaries to power with their own voices quote if you're going to interrupt you have to know what you, you're talking about and you have to do it in a strong voice she wrote in 2015 um the news of Albright's death took me back to the summer of 1994 when she was the U.S. ambassador to UN. She was like the role model of Samantha Powers, and I was a much younger journalist. Uh, by the way, she, the Kevin put the much in the parentheses, mm. as in like, oh, ha, 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 very funny. You're like, yeah, I'm still young. <laughs> Fuck you. And Ernie, like, like, even in these assholes even in the middle of like obituary they can't help themselves making these soy banter piece of shit jokes um uh an earnest correspondent for the associated press based in bratislava and excited to be covering what is the europe's youngest country slovakia I had already been in Europe a few years first, arriving in Prague, the capital of what was oh. then Czechos. I mean, okay, I mean this guy off. looks like, like he I can romanticize wanna... anything. He's like, you know, yeah. I still remember the glass <laughs> of water I drank. <laughs> 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 He's just like, romanticizing. <laughs> I remember I, I turned on the news. <laughs> CNN was on. Oh. 
<laughs> Weatherman yeah. was saying it's gonna rain. <laughs> But you know, this is like it's kind of remind me of what Matt Taibbi saying. Like you know, all these journalists who seem to be like mesmerized by poli by politicians, right? This is kind of what he he's admitting, right? Like when he he was like you know taken aback by her skills or or whatnot. And I mean, for your job, that doesn't you know I feel like that's not really a good approach or like a good you know your skill set should but, be a but, bit different but, as a no, journalist. But, I mean, look, I I don't know about that. I mean, my views on journalism. Yeah, but I'm but, but I guess, no, but that's the thing, though. If you have that attitude, then you're more likely to be, let's say, given exclusive interviews yeah, or more sure, likely to be for contacted sure. for leaks. So you're more likely to stay in the game as a relevant player. If you are not like that, nobody contacts you and you just uh, slowly no, just go. No, definitely. Irrelevant. But... I mean, the re- I mean, I don't want to read the rest because it just. Go- I mean, first, this is obituary about Madeleine Albright. He just spends like four <laughs> paragraphs talking about his own experience. Well, he connected <laughs> it to Madeleine Albright, I guess. Uh, I mean, it's just the next four paragraphs: Nelson Mandela, <laughs> really? Israel. Stop. I, no, I'm not kidding. But there were more important global markers taking place. Uh, South Africa electing Nelson Mandela as president because before that he was talking about some bullshit. In Central Europe, that nobody gave a shit. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but, uh, but those events suggested the possibility of a better world. It wasn't to be. More sobering mm-hmm. events were occurring. The Serbs' bombardment of Sarajevo, Russia attacking the Czechist Republic of Chechnya, the US sending military forces to the Persian Gulf. I love how they're all put in equal, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> These three things are definitely equal. Like, right. not one, one of them is not by far outweighs the others. <clears throat> Middle East. <clears throat> yeah. And then there were massacres unfolding in Rwanda. The U.S. came under criticism for its slow response to genocide. And I don't know, this is yeah. a place in Africa. Albright herself took issue with the U.N. response. Again, I don't remember any of this. All of, all of that was in play in August 1994 when Albright returned to a part of world where she was born to honor the victim of what is now called the Slovak National Uprising in August 1994. I, I, Jesus Christ, this guy is so such a narcissist. I covered the 50 year anniversary of that moment when Slovaks took on Nazi military forces. It was it was a doomed mission, but it was also was a testament to human spirit to stand up against oppression, even when Man. it will like. This sorry, article man. is so cringe. You know, it's just so oh, cringe. Like the guy sounds like he lived in like a fairy tale. You know, I mean. He, he did man. Yeah. he probably did though like he romanticizes and i just looking up i mean i don't look up to any i mean you know even when i was a look, kid i didn't idolize people to this extent exactly that you feel some man. of these people do yeah i remember somebody when i was like 10 somebody told my mom i'm a good kid and my mom was like see they say you're a good kid i was like of course they say that i'm a stand <laughs> like what is wrong with you people <laughs> like these people are idiots anyway listen to i mean talking of idolization Albright was there at those anniversary ceremonies at the news conference. She spoke about the Slovaks who stood up against the oppression, gliding seemingly effortlessly between English, Czech, and Slovak in the news conference. Like, okay, okay. <laughs> like, like a dancer, like a dancer trained to move from the tango to the ball. Stop. Did you, are you adding all this? Because I don't have the article in front of me. I don't know if you're <laughs> making up stuff. No, or... I didn't send this. <laughs> 
I didn't send you. I wanted to save you this, but let me I just send you this in the chat right now because you don't believe me. But I'm not I mean, I like to read this again. Uh, seemingly uh, gliding, seemingly effortlessly between English, Czech, and Slovak in, new, in the news conference, like a dancer trained to move from tango to the waltz. And then my moment with all, I mean, this is the whole article has been building up to this, his moment, his, his what matters, not Albright who just died. <laughs> and then my moment with Albright came. I fumbled my greetings in a Slovak. Dobiri den pani Hello, Mr. Albright. Her stature, four foot ten inches. I feel like that's slightly <laughs> unnecessary like, <laughs> inclusion there. And her piercing eyes immediately struck me. Piercing eyes? What are you talking about? For me, the gift that Madeline Arp like leaves is knowing the possible. Uh, yeah, read this one. Yeah, finish this one. That a woman who grows to a small dimension can command the room thanks to knowledge and grace. Okay, I mean, stop right there. What? Is this, what is going on? this guy is revealing too much about himself. So he pretty much has no self-respect for like anybody who's, who's short. He has no respect for them, yeah. I guess. Thank you. Yeah, I, he he I, runs into I, you. He's like, I've... with that face, with that height, with that <laughs> intelligence, you managed to get a job? No, no. Impressive. Impressive. No, no, not intelligent. With that, with you midget <laughs> with those sure. teeth you really look good <laughs> your clothes no no, no i'm really I, mean, <laughs> I i mean man i like i feel like he's like trying to do he's trying to do a double sort of thing of like not only she was the first woman president she was the first first yeah. uh, woman uh, state secretary she was also the first short person <laughs> i don't know what's going on <laughs> like it's the weirdest like and as somebody who's short by the way i find it so <laughs> annoying that being short is like the only thing that people can openly mock <laughs> as a physical trait it's and it's fine i'm fine with it technically but this oh, is man. so weird i mean it's so weird listen I mean, I just want to leave it again. Who leave for me the gift that Madeline Albright <laughs> leaves is knowing the possible that a woman, and that's what he thinks is possible, that a woman who grows to small dimensions can command the room thanks to knowledge and grace. But so until Harry, you really thought size of a woman was really hugely like, <laughs> and I, I, that's the main I, thing. So that's all. So. Yeah, in f yeah. So I mean, he really like you know the small dimensions is right there before he italicized can. So I mean, really the most important impressive thing for him really I mean, seems to come down to the height. It's very, he's very yeah he's very empathic <laughs> empathic on this point that you know she was four. Yeah, it's like, guys, guys. Can you believe? <laughs> <laughs> check out this picture of her standing next to this flower you can really tell yeah. the dimension so she's barely <laughs> higher I than this rose pick it up in my hands. <laughs> this is ridiculous how can she be secretary of a state <laughs> oh man yeah I, uh, this one was the most i'm painful. guessing he's it heard of napoleon see, it wasn't like super know. long work yeah yeah, well, yeah, apparently Napoleon was for his time not sure it was mostly a British oh, sort of propaganda. Really? <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah, 
I, from what I read, I don't. I don't. But so there's more I, to this. But listen, <laughs> I just. <laughs> there's a literature on Napoleon's height. Like, like <laughs> the literature is really no, split. Man. Some say he was seven foot two. Some say he was four. It has puzzled historians for years. The origins of. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an important historical question, as you can imagine. But I just wanted to read this as well because this mother, it just shows how much a grifter this guy is. Because this is the one to last paragraph. Today, as Ukraine, whose people are tortured for simply wanting to be their own nation, defend themselves against military forces from Russia, Albright's journey is especially important. Again, he quotes, if you're going to interrupt, you have to do what you're to know what you're talking about and you have to do it in a strong voice so uh like i don't know why how that ukraine thing was thrown in there but well done man you're like you i'm sure all your bosses were like checkpoint 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 ukraine anti-russia you know yeah all bright great and and some you know well done, personal anecdotal things <laughs> like it wasn't just human stories yeah. it was like personal human stories you know this is yeah this was like uh this was like his it wasn't the obituary it was like my view on like yeah you know, how her death affected me <laughs> or how her life and death affected me it's not like you know it's it's just so self-centered no, i mean no this was a funny one but there was another interesting one also from again NPR, Madeleine Albright kept up her trailblazing trail work long after being a secretary of a state. Again, can somebody tell me what was her, like even during her secretary yeah. of the state, what did she, what trail did she blaze? I like to know, <laughs> just, just to clarify for myself. But yeah, again, it's the same sort of thing. It's the, um, you know, yeah, same bullshit article. It's She's interesting. Great. Uh, I have like yeah unrelated did, I, I guess I have seen her speak kind of but she didn't have an accent or anything right I mean she was she was in America from a young age do you not find no, it no do you not find it like you know this kind of surprises me that like someone like Kissinger with such a strong like because you know right now there isn't one politician in the U.S. who like you know has a non-American right. accent maybe Ilhan Omar has a little bit of an accent but it's just really weird like Kissinger, Kissinger yeah, yeah. had like Kissinger, you know like, it's just his accent strong... perfectly fits his personality <laughs> as well like, he's sort of a master my evil master yeah I mean not that no. there's anything wrong with an accent I mean I have an accent and not all that, that anything is wrong with being an evil master but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just you know you it's so rare for you to to see that I find well you're I'm trying to think you're I mean it's like that's the thing it's part of I guess Washingtonization and LA and New Yorkization of politics that like even like forget about foreign accents like John F. Kennedy's accent man mm. you can barely understand what the fuck the guy is saying <laughs> like, but now like pretty much everybody is increasingly sounds very similar I would say very similar yeah yeah you're right no I can't think of anybody that foreign sounding as uh <laughs> But kudos to him. I mean, maybe that's one thing he overcame. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, I mean, to be honest, I think he's uh, like even effectiveness, uh, effectiveness as an evil mastermind is exaggerated as well. He's really good at marketing himself mm. and like his accent and his 
Conte. Um, it's just, yeah, I think. Like Berzinski was far more evil, but <laughs> get half the publicity. <laughs> but uh, I just want to read this tiny bit from this article, though, that listen to this, because I was interested that they brought it up. But uh, look at how much, like, it's a, it's a pretty long article. Yeah. Maybe put a picture of it up yeah, there. Yeah, no, I have it here. Yeah. Oh, look, look at, listen to this. Uh, oh, shit, I just... Oh, I just moved my thing. And, oh, here we go. Albright's tension, however, wasn't without controversy. In 1996, 60 Minutes, Leslie Stoll asked Albright if the price of sanctions against Iraq was worth the humanitarian cost, noting the death toll of children. It's interesting that in an article full of mm-hmm. quotes, they don't include the quote about half a million Iraqi children. Interesting point. Quote, I... Uh, that was the answer Albright gave. I think this is a very hard choice, but we think the price is worth it. Albright answered. She later wrote that she immediately regretted her words, calling them a terrible mistake. Regretted her words, not, not her action. actions, yeah. not the ha- half a million children, uh, Iraqi, not even saying that, no, like our sanctions isn't aimed at them, but it's Saddam's government is trying to do that. Really acknowledging, no, this is a direct result of our policy and it's kind of worth it, man. So, you know, that's how much her negative side. And then it immediately moves on to how uh, Clinton praised her in 1996 and all that. So, oh, yeah, there's still like three more stories within that story, you know, her, her holding a baseball bat and everything. So, I mean, that's just yeah yeah it's inspiring yeah there's like few the new uh, inspiring figure blah blah like that's all the all her sort of negative but they, I mean, they, it's not nice to revel yeah. with anybody dies but you know people like that are not like no like they've been at the highest level of power so i think it's fine agreed agreed anything else here on madeline uh no but oh maddie oh maddie <laughs> I remember the one funniest story that she, one time she was, she was in a meeting with Iranian foreign delegations and uh, they basically, they told her like, that's the foreign minister. And she, she was quite a smart, I would say that. And she was like, sure. Like, and it like the, he, her aides were basically, it's that that was like deputy foreign minister. <laughs> and they like, and it was like, she was like addressing the wrong person for half like or something. I see. <laughs> Some aides got in big trouble. You, you know, I can guarantee you that. Hope, yeah. Yeah. Oh, she, yeah. She ripped them up. You asshole. <laughs> All right, Sam, let's move on to Ethiopia, a country where we were c- trying to cover as much as we could, trying to figure out what was going on prior to Russia-Ukraine, but then Russia-Ukraine happened and that really took a back seat. But apparently there have been some relatively big developments over the yeah, past I- few days. Yeah, according to France 24, on Thursday, Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed government declared the surprise truce, saying it, ha- it hoped the move would is humanitarian access to Tigray and paved the way for resolution of conflict in northern Ethiopia. And on Friday, the rebels said in a statement to AFP that they were committed to implementing a cessation of hostilities effective immediately and urged Ethiopian authorities to hasten delivery of emergency aid into Tigray, where hundreds of thousands face starvation. 
So yeah, that's a relatively positive. I mean, this, like we talked about, nobody knows what's going on in Ukraine. Nobody knows what's going on in Ethiopia either. Like uh, there was this sort of narrative for a while that Ethiopian government is carrying out a genocidal campaign in Tigray. Then their narrative was that the tide of war has turned and Tigray is about to take over the uh, um, capital and now it's just completely reversed back to like Ethiopian government being on a more like strong side of the things yeah you're absolutely right there. but it's been going on for almost 17 months so yeah and when this is I think this is their second truce as well so I mean we shall see if it holds up holds. and what happens yeah and I'll just to be clear, geopolitically, where everybody is standing, the United States has accused Abia's government of preventing aid from reaching those in need, while the authorities in turn have blamed the rebels for the obstruction. Mm-hmm. So very similar to the whole Ukrainian thing with evacuation of people, like one side blames the other side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay, yeah, interesting to see. Maybe by next week or stuff, there'll be some more concrete updates. information that comes out and updates, yeah, where they stand exactly. What about Iran? What's going on there? I heard that again. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we can record two things and just have it every week. Once, you, yeah. once we say that, you know, it's the deal's about good. to happen. It's looking and then, bad. You know, put on hold. <laughs> so maybe just record both of them now and I'll just add them every time. Okay, let, let's, for our, it's looking bad. Okay. It's looking good. <laughs> there we go. Okay, next story. It's, it's, yeah, next story. It's, it's still in the positive stuff and uh, yeah i mean there was this israel naftali bennett urged the u.s government to not remove the support from the, the iranian military from the terrorist list and uh, uh, then there was this sort of a leak that iran has not accepted the u.s none of it can be confirmed none of it is and, uh, concrete so it looks like congress it's and what about congress let's say the deal happens it's Congress that has to remove the sanctions, right? Or is it Biden? He can remove some of the sanctions. Biden can remove some of the sanctions. So, but at the end of the day, there's also a whole um, Congress and Senate element to this that is there, there that are hasn't sanctions. even been discussed yet. Right? Those ones, yeah, but those ones I don't think will be. Yeah. They're not talking about those, I don't think, because there is no hope of getting those off. But yeah, but I think mostly the ones that, you know, Trump, Put Iran mm-hmm. on because, yeah. but what about the previous ones that even Obama didn't remove? Like, apparently, those were major sanctions, yeah. But those were part of Barjam and all that, like part of the JCPOA. <laughs> so, 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 like, those were is the issues surrounding them, I guess, that they already agreed on. So, Biden I, I, should no, be able himself to remove some sanctions without Congress. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I it's harder it a- than putting sanctions on, but no, it's possible. Definitely. I see. Yeah. Okay. But some of the sanctions he can't do anything about. But those sanctions are just yeah. That's fine. That's mm-hmm. they already I guess agreed on those. They've come to an understanding on those. I see. Okay. I guess let's see so, um, what happens. Great update, huh? Just yeah. very informative. <laughs> yeah. I, you feel like a different. You feel like you know so much more <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. No, I honestly feel like because I have a Google alert for Iran, and I think. That Google alert, just looking at the headline, is enough to follow this story because it just says, good, you know, bad. good, bad, and <laughs> or they talk, or they say, yeah, if anybody's arrived in Vienna. But okay, let me move on to this other story, and you tell me if there's anything 
um, you can add something interesting. So when I read this, I found it to be a very interesting story, a relatively big and relatively important story. So Sirius Assad visits UAE, first trip to Arab states since war began. So this happened on the 18th of March last Friday. So just the first headline from Reuters. Syrian President Bashar al-Assad traveled to the UAE on Friday, his first visit to an Arab state since the Syrian war began in 2011. So all of the Arab states underlining warming ties with a U.S. allied country that once backed rebels who sought his ouster. So in the article, there's just one or two things that I found to be interesting. I mean, of course, the Americans weren't happy about it and all that. But the other thing is, which I hadn't realized, but the UAE had opened their embassy apparently in 2018 already in Syria and others hadn't. So this story maybe has like, you know, it's a bit, it goes a little bit further back. But yeah, do you have anything that you've read or interesting stuff to add? And yeah, do you agree that it is a, to me, it's like a big kind of move. Now, I don't know if it has any impacts, but just in terms of, you know, a big ally of of the of you know the US and everyone now changing its relationship although like I said it perhaps goes back a few years and you know we've talked about how UAE kind of moved away from Saudi's position when it comes to Yemen so when you put them all together it's perhaps not that surprising but yeah well look I think first yeah UAE already had you know, opened their embassy in 2018 before everybody else. And there was already some contact. Let's not forget, as maybe Kim, don't tell Kim Iverson about this, but uh, there is a strong familiar relations between Bashar Assad, his wife, and all these uh, royal families. They're all like cousins or, you know, married to a cousin of their friends or something. Yeah, just don't tell anybody. <laughs> My trigger is some kind of like, what the fuck, their family? <laughs> you do this (laughs) but uh, so uh, you know uh, and syria is uh, like for you know i mean it's this whole syrian war was very weird because syria was seen as a sort of a beacon of arab nationalism for a long time and all Mm. that but but uh, i think these are all really signify increasing uh, like as america retreats from the region and countries like Saudi Arabia and UAE become more, and Qatar become more independent. They are, become, like, they're trying to become more independent and playing different sides. I'm not sure how that's going to work out. A couple of people before in Middle East have tried to be independent. Uh, Mohammed Reza Shah, Jamal Abdel Nasser, <laughs> you know, Gaddafi. As soon as they tried a little bit of independence type things, things didn't turn out well within cup, you know, I mean, Gaddafi was. Yeah, the you one want that. independence? Okay. All right, Jamal. Here, here's your independence, Jamal. You'll be very independent in heaven. <laughs> you'll be independent with no power and you will have a villa. So, I'll you know, make you independent and irrelevant. How about that? Yes. Like us. So. So it's, I think it's, it's sort of that because UAE or even before Saudi Arabia, UAE was having its own military talks with Iran. Um, in, even in um, Yemeni war, they have a sort of a slightly independent policy from Saudi Arabia. So everybody is basically becoming a bit, they're just, you know, trying their big clothes. Yeah. 
And yeah, and I mean, the UAE had even sent a foreign minister to Syria. But yeah, the fact that Assad, it's still, you know, Assad came and visited both of them, the president and the and, vice but, president uh, of Assad the country. Assad hasn't been, since the civil war, yeah. Assad hasn't been anywhere but Iran and Russia. Russia, exactly. So yeah, this was a big story that, you know, I would have liked some more. But I mean, maybe it's, maybe, yeah. Maybe it's just the natural culmination of this. And really the big story was how Assad lasted easily. Not easily, but I mean, he lasted. He's on the other side oh, of it he, now. Yes, and, far, barely, yeah. but yeah, he left. I would say, and I, I assume the, I know like Assad is not ever gonna like half, like the regime with the connection between Syria and Iran is extremely deep at this point. Uh, so I think mostly they probably want, I think, Countries like UAE, especially and Saudi Arabia, less so Qatar, are very worried about Turkey's increasing mm. ambitions. So, you know, and Syria is the best check for that. So, considering true. Iraq is just, yeah, go on. Yeah. True, true, that's true. But okay, all right, um, let's move on from that story. I see we have a couple of other ones here, Afghanistan, North Korea, so I'll throw it back to So you. Afghanistan, by the way, and I think this is kind of like, we never know, but who knows if those monies were not confiscated and there was some sort of a, some kind of a reproachment with Taliban or whatever government is in Afghanistan calling themselves. But, but yeah, in Afghanistan, they are not going to allow girls above the age 11 to go to a school so wow. that's been decided it was condemned by everybody pretty much turkey iran you know arab court yeah, and well. it's you know yeah it's just really fucked up but it's pretty important so i thought i'd mention it and definitely so they've what, yeah, they presented this they, as a policy for the whole country and yeah yeah they that's it was that. the ministerial cabinet decision i guess that's yeah that's yeah that's mm-hmm. that yeah i mean bunch of old men whose level of intelligence and education is barely above like primary school children mm-hmm. in most this countries and whose sense of a style uh, is from medieval ages are now deciding like on the education and the dress code of other people it's fucking pathetic it's just yeah. it's it's all it's medieval i mean i mean there's no other way of like in a bad sense not i know, I know there is some with medieval <laughs> no no offense to medieval yeah. times but uh jesus christ hopefully like, this doesn't last because i mean you know this doesn't seem like a very sustainable policy either i mean it's been sustained for a couple of thousands of years at least yeah but nowadays even more i mean yeah and... i don't know man. I, i'm not very I don't want to get yeah. my hopes too. 